Hello my angels and welcome back to Progress Process, the podcast where we see interruptions as introductions and breakdowns as breakthroughs. This week I am going to be talking to my wonderful dad um, about a breakdown that he had when I was 11 and about his work-life balance, about the tools that he's picked up along the way um, for being a father, for being a professional, um, and how he felt about my breakdown and how that impacted him and our relationship. So sit back, relax, take a deep breath, and I hope you enjoy. Hi, Dad. Hey, ho, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Good, thank you. Good. Um, so I thought we would start maybe if you could just give us a bit of background about your work life because I think the thing that I'd like to talk about is how your what maybe we'll call workaholism maybe um, I don't know whether that's a label that you identify with and if not just say so um, but how that impacted on your mental health your relationships um, and then kind of the tools that you picked up along the way to make living life easier for you I guess and for the people around you um, so do you just want to briefly briefly uh, okay well I'll give a very high level overview uh, after I left university and came to England um, I got into work and it it was very exciting so I put a lot of energy into it and uh, shortly before I got married uh, there were occasions when it was quite stressful because we were trying to do too much um, indeed there was one incident then I vaguely remember where it, it got slightly overwhelming uh, but you know we got through um, and uh, after I got married I was in a reasonably senior position doing very well I got continued to get promoted so I continued to work very hard um, and I then got a more international role which led me to travel a great deal that meant that I wasn't at home as much um, as people who had a more normal job shall we say um, I never viewed it as alcohol as um, workaholism. workaholism but I guess you could argue that uh, that would be just my perspective other people would say well you know how many days were you traveling uh, I was busy most of my colleagues were busy, some of them even more busy than me. Um, but in retrospect, it was a choice we made, I guess. You know, you're offered the position, you take it. Um, for decades, that went on. And then in um, around 2000, where we'd been away for living in the US for a few years, um, it, when we came back, there were lots of changes and there were many, many issues that then led to stress levels going sky high. Uh, and I'll just say now, then that led to a collapse. Um, I guess there were three issues in particular, and then I'll let you ask more questions. One was, you, my tendency was to just keep pushing. Um, one of the things you learn in management is what sort of profile you are. Um, and uh, 
senior people are very often who, who are driven are often called one of the labels is given to them and there are many but one of them is mission impossible which is just give me something that can't be done and i'll find a way to do it um and i and most of my colleagues at senior level were in that category and uh, the second is you then don't want to give up but what i found myself one day just not being able to continue um, and so I guess that's what I would label the crash and there was a specific work-related trigger. Um, but I was very lucky because your mother was fantastic and she helped me to get through it. And when I came back, colleagues were fantastic. Uh, you find out who your friends are, I guess. Uh, and I was helped through it, but it took a long time to get back to base. So I'll stop there and let you perhaps ask some more detailed questions. Um, so, how how did it manifest when you when you couldn't keep going? What happened? What did it feel like? Well, you feel completely powerless and lost. Um, there was a build-up to it, where I found it very difficult to take decisions, and I seemed to be getting very what I would have called nervous. But I think they're now they're classed as panic attacks. But of course, I didn't know what they were. Yeah. I say, of course, the, the sad fact is that it's now talked about much more. It's very commonplace. Um, it's not so common in people, you know, I was in my mid 40s, so it's not so common at that age with that much experience. Um, but all the symptoms that one now recognizes, which is you stop sleeping, uh, you find it difficult to take decisions, and then you become incapacitated. You can't take a decision, mm. uh, but you're still trying to hold on. And then in the end, um, the specific trigger, and look, everyone has different triggers and they can be in work, out of work, uh, personal to you, not personal to you. The, the triggers are different in many ways. And I'll make a comment about stress as well. Um, the trigger specifically was following a period where I, a business was in trouble. I had been suggesting we do something specific. My boss at the time said, no, 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 I don't want to do that. Uh, and then he called one Monday morning, a day before a major review saying, oh, we need to do. And then he suggested what I had suggested, but there was no way I could do it in two days. And at that stage, I just, as it were, said to myself, I can't do this. I don't know what to do. Um, that was the trigger. It built up. The general comment I would make on stress is that stress can come from uh, trying to do something that's impossible and realizing it's impossible. But that's not the only thing. It can come from something we're trying to do externally in work or it could be something we're trying to do in life. But it could also come from things I feel I should be doing but I'm not doing. Yeah. It can come from things I'm doing and I don't want to be doing them. Or it can come from interacting with people who have any one of those as well. So stress manifest, and I, I watched more closely over the years afterwards because I've been helping people in stressful situations before, but I never thought of myself as someone who would hit that wall. But after I had, I became much more conscious um, and I hope, I like to think, a better person with dealing with people mm. um, and that was just the work side mm. family and, was as well 
Yeah, so you you went into the Priory. Um, yeah. I was, that was about 20 years ago. I was 11. Um, I don't remember much of it. I remember, I remember before you went in, you were in bed for a long time. Um, and then I remember you not being there. Um, I remember coming to visit you one day and we went into, I think it was the chapel. And then I remember you coming home and we didn't talk about it a lot. I remember being in school and saying to my school friends that you were ill and that you were in the Priory and my teacher told me to be quiet and not talk about it. And I just couldn't understand why I wasn't allowed to talk about it because we did talk about it briefly at home. Like we talked, mum kind of tried to explain to us what was going on. Mm. Um, how did the process of going through treatment allow you to unpick what had happened? And was it, did you feel like it was a kind of breaking down of the perceptions that you had of yourself? Because I know that for me, it was that when I went into hospital, I hadn't even realized that part of why I had crashed so hard was because I was so desperate for people to see me as a certain type of person that I pushed myself further than I I should have, could have. Um, and it ended up with me just not being able to keep up the facade or the mask or whatever it was anymore. Um, I remember you talking a bit about control and kind of trying to run therapy groups like business meetings and mm things like that so how did that so um again i'll try and give three quick things because i do uh, otherwise i'd go on forever so one initially uh, i went into the priory because you i think i'd been in at home um for two or three weeks and it didn't seem to be breaking is the word that i think is often used um and so your mother took me to see a doctor and he, we sat down and he said, look, uh, Natalie's suggesting we put you in a hospital. I know where we put you. What would you like to do? And I just said, well, I don't know. I'll go with whatever you guys advise. Uh, so I went in, but I wasn't sure what was going to happen. So that was the first thing. The second was um, it gradually became clear to me that uh, I needed somehow to break through and there are many different words for you used for there's the crisis that initiates which is the trigger but then there's the turning point um, where you, you let go I think is the expression that's often used I don't know if, if, if uh, that's how you relate to it but for me I identified quite quickly that the, the well, relatively quickly, I was in there for, I can't remember now, four, five, six weeks maybe, um, that, that the problem was sleep. That was the main manifestation for me, that there was a difficulty sleeping because I'd wake up after an hour or two and I'd be burning with anxiety, tossing and turning. So I identified I needed sleep. Um, the consultant I was with said, Yes, yeah. I mean, he was a good guy, but he didn't really, un well, he eventually came to understand how hard my drive was. And I'll come back to control and so on. That it, basically I had enormous energy um, and it was pushing me forward all the time. But it, that was inside. I wasn't trying to uh, be what I thought someone else wanted me to be. I was trying to be what I wanted. And it's yeah. linked to control and perfectionism. But 
uh, what then happened was eventually he said, okay, look, I'm going to give you something uh, that'll really work. Because he kept on, had, he had been saying this for some time. Um, so he gave me um, something really strong and it didn't work. <laughs> I, I woke up as usual and they were giving me all manner of things to try to calm me down. And I remember going into a group session uh, the morning after and they said, you don't need to. And I said, yes, I have to. I, I don't know what caused me, but I just went in there and said, well, I've got nothing left now. Um, you, you know, they said this would work. They don't know what they're doing. Uh, and then I remember distinctly saying, I have nothing left now except hope. And then I collapsed. <laughs> so the medication kicked in. Now, the next day, they gave me something that managed to get me to sleep for four or five hours, which was like nirvana. And after that, I was on the mend. So that was the crisis inside. Mm. The third comment I make was that Yes, I did. And I, I had to learn to do that, letting go. And there's a whole side issue associated with that. The third was that in group discussions, they eventually said that I was a perfectionist. I, of course, disputed this and tried to explain why it was not true. <laughs> but the, the learning exercise for me was to understand that whether I believed it or not, there were things driving me to do things that were linked to perfectionism and control. Basically, I wanted the world to do what I felt it should do. And of course, that's a completely impossible task. And it was only when you back off a bit from that, that you're able to become well again, because you, you live in a world which is not what you want it to be. And it doesn't matter how much, uh, in my case, I as an individual try to force it to be, I, I can't change the world. Um, I think there are people who have enormous capacity to do amazing things and and they do that all through their lives in a particular way they achieve things and um, they're not always the most likable people they're not always liked it doesn't mean they're bad people it, it's just that they operate in a particular way but it was very clear to me that i had limitations and learning that there were limitations was very important yeah it's yeah it's amazing to hear you talking about that i had the same experience with medication I think we're very similar in that way where they gave me a sleeping pill and I was up and about walking and they were like Alex you how are you walking and talking and up and about when you've taken this medication like it should absolutely knock you out and I think my anxiety and the way that my body kind of was just on such high alert like yeah they had to give me way more than they had to give anyone else to try and get me to sleep because my body just wouldn't wouldn't respond to it it just tried to keep going um well that, that just to specifically comment on that at one stage um i'd been saying to him you need to get me to sleep and he was almost irritated because i was you know as it were almost taking control and i meant to be the one who, he said yeah i know what i'm going to give you tonight will take out an elephant I'm just trying to work out how much to give you. And it didn't work. So he, he fixed it the following time. But picking up your other point, he, he there were two further quick comments. One, uh, I asked him as we were going along what it was like. He always was slightly bemused by that. But he said he'd never met anyone who had as high a level of anxiety. And mm. uh, the other issue was 
a little bit like you, um, as I came out the far side, your comment on the medication and the power of it, as I came out from that four or five hours sleep, I very, very quickly got very strong mm. inside. Mm. And within a week or two, I'm sure there's probably yeah, closer to one, I was out running at six o'clock in the morning. And I came back in and medicine was given out at seven o'clock. And I was on quite a, I realized afterwards, they told me, a very strong set of medicine that they have to very control very carefully because they're dangerous and some of them are addictive and so on. So he came along with my medication, the, the guy, you know, the registrar, it wasn't given out by a nurse, it was given out by the registrar that particular day anyway. And he looked at me and because I'd been running for half an hour, 40 minutes, I was covered in perspiration. And he said, are you all right? Well, you know, where have you been? And I said, well, I've just been out for a run. And he said, but you can't run on what we're giving you. And I said, well, I am. I just did. <laughs> just did. So he instantly dropped more than three quarters of the medicine they were giving me. So yeah, it, the body and the mind are linked in strange ways and our drive uh, can cause us to hurt ourselves. Mm. And that's, but that's when I, you know, I felt good that I was conquering. I'm back in control. Mm. Not, of course, but you feel it. Mm. Um, but my energy levels were obviously so high and my reaction to medication, to drugs in general, was to dismiss them. Mm. So, and similar, yeah. Yeah. And then kind of over that time and then after you went back to work, how did that kind of impact about how you how you dealt with things at home, how you dealt with us, how you dealt with your relationship with mum? Did that change kind of the way that you viewed that and the way that you felt about how you had been and how you wanted to be moving forward? Um, well, the months afterwards, I had to be very careful and your mother was very careful to make sure that I was careful. So I did review everything. I did try to establish specific relationships with each of you rather than leaning on your mother to manage the family, which in effect is what had happened before. Um, so I tried to do that. Uh, but in particular, I learned that um, what I'd been doing was squashing her, my words, not hers. But what she said was that when I became ill, many of the friends rallied round because they thought she wouldn't be able to cope, but she actually felt more powerful than than she'd ever felt in her life. Yeah. Because I wasn't overpowering everything, which is what she felt. So I learned, and someone else had commented on that a few years before, and I, I just didn't believe it. So the power of presence when you're driven can be huge and when that's applied for the good it's very good mm. but if it's applied in an inconsiderate way then it crushes everything in sight mm. and it can be very dangerous so i did learn more about that and i tried to be um a more reflective person mm. uh, a more considerate person and i was helped by colleagues telling me you know to to take it easy so I came back gradually rather than rushing yeah um, I don't know what your memory is but that 
so my memory was I tried to basically the word that we all use these days is to slow down yeah and stop trying to drive so hard yeah and um, I mean within a year or two in truth I was back and I remember uh, the company by then that I was with had been taken over there were new managers in place but it just seemed that I seemed to settle in quite quickly so within a year or two I had I was talking to a boss who just said you know I don't know how you do as much as you do and I wasn't stressed at all mm. but he felt I would have been it, and I think it was because this is the issue I mentioned earlier on about choice if you're doing what you want to do and it seems right um and it's going okay enough and that's that's the key words okay enough then you can deal with the heat um you know a very simple way of dealing with pressure is if i have a deadline to do something and the pressure's building and i get overwhelmed by anxiety about oh gosh am i going to meet it or not the danger is the anxiety can incapacitate us and a technique i learned very early on um talking to a different guy who was my mentor for a long time as he said look what you have to do when you get in this state is just position yourself 6 months down the road and work out what you did to get there because that'll help you calm down because if you calm down you're much more effective mm-hmm. and that technique of shifting the timeline uh is very powerful it works the other way as well by the way for people who are finding it difficult to get motivated to do something then the secret with them is not to say i want to be in this place in 2 years because that's meaningless they need to say i'm going to do this in the next day uh next 12 hours 6 hours 5 hours or when i really can't do anything i'm going to do this in the next 5 minutes yeah so it it does work both ways but we have to learn that yeah and- i remember you saying to me when i was really struggling with anxiety about bringing my horizons forward and i found that so 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 helpful and it's something that recovery um aa recovery is really really talks about a lot is just for today yeah. and kind of leaning into that in terms of control and looking at okay this is this is something that i'm feeling overwhelmed about is there something that i can do about it at all if there is can i do something about it now can i do something about it today if so do it and if not schedule a time to do it and if i can't change it if i can't control it let it go or find yeah. find a positive way to let it go and i mean yeah. for me for me that looks like prayer it looks like meditation it looks like talking to somebody who i know i can talk through it with and kind of just trying to trying to release it um yeah, so the, you, the, just add to that the really important part for me that i pick out from what you've just said is to learn when something is totally overwhelming us um to look at it and say can i do a bit of it or any of it now and if yeah. the answer is no no and no then we've got somehow to learn how to retain the strength to park it it doesn't have to be ignored it just needs to be parked i'm putting that in the box i will look at it again tomorrow or next week or whatever and then work out what i can do today but parking something that's overwhelming us is very difficult because it means that we have to accept that we can't do everything we want to do we're not able to control the world yeah yeah, yeah. and also i think asking for help i mean that's one of the biggest things that i've 
I've had to learn is about relying on other people because I think for so long I tried, I thought that strength was in being able to do everything on my own and being able to look after myself and manage myself and not need anyone to help me. And part of what I talked about in the first episode of this, which was connection, is about actually connecting through our vulnerabilities and realizing that having a support system is not only helpful, it's necessary. Um, how did you feel about kind of having to rely on other people and having to lean on other people more than you had before? Was that uncomfortable and difficult for you? No, is the quick answer. Um, and people used to comment on that. Um, so I guess what I would say there is once I'd stopped driving, then I was quite happy to work with other people. I was still discriminating in terms of what I would take on, but. The real lesson for me about um, asking for help came from someone else. So I was in a position where I was receiving, but I didn't ask. I went along with the path. We used to talk all the time, and I think you've had this conversation as well, the process. So the Priory says, here's our process. So we would just go through the process. Um, But one incident occurred one day where there was someone in our group who had difficulty asking for help. And I did not know then how incapacitating that can be. Mm. But rather than go through the whole thing, over a two hour period in a group session, which actually started as an art group session and then moved into something else, this particular facilitator helped an individual uh, in the group who had never been able to ask for anything And we didn't know that at the beginning of the session, right? We're just chatting away. You know, most people didn't really know. The more extrovert ones like me were telling people everything. This person hadn't said very much, but she was integral in the group and a participant. At the end of the two hours, um, she turned around and asked for a cup of tea, right? And we knew as we approached the end of the period, the goal was for her to ask for something. She knew it was as well. We were all sensitive enough by then to shut up completely and just let her, the counselor, the facilitator, and the person that she was going to ask. And the the, the facilitator set it up. This person had become, the other person had become a friend, but to ask, and then she just completely broke down. But enormous relief. So, yeah, the answer is I didn't have much of a problem asking for help. My bigger, bigger problem was stopping driving. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, And I mean, I remember, so when when I had my first breakdown and I was, you know, suicidal and unable to control my thinking and all of that kind of stuff and then kind of through the process of healing of that from that and then kind of what happened with the second one I am just curious to know how that felt for you as somebody on the outside because I think something that I also want to use this podcast for is kind of talking to people about how to help those who they know who are having mental health issues but also you know for people who are going through mental health issues to think about how that impacts on the people around them and I I know that you know through the process of me getting sober and then having all this kind of mental health growth and learning and you know breakdowns becoming breakthroughs and all of that kind of stuff that you've been 
incredibly supportive, but I think also our relationship has changed because we've had to reassess how we talk to each other, how we support each other, how we how we share things. And I mean, for example, you know, I was having a bit of a struggle. Um, I've been struggling on and off for this past year and something that I felt that has changed. And I don't know whether you feel that, but you know, you call me to check in and just see how I am. And that's something that, that I am really, first of all, really touched by, but also just really, really grateful for. And I don't really remember that being something that we did growing up. No, um, we, yeah, I, I, I didn't do that. Um, you may remember your uncle Kevin used to make a point and he had five children, we only had three, but he would take them one by one and just have alone time with them. And yeah. I tried to do it a bit at one stage, um, but I guess I wasn't as good at it as, as he was. Um, I think that the way uh, one handles relationships can change. Yes, we did have to get to a new place um, and find a different path. Um, I guess I came slowly through to the next stage of working what I would do, how I would balance. Um, a lot of it is to do with knowing where I am, where I'd like to be, who needs my help and how I can help them. I guess the biggest issue was listening has always been a challenge for me. Um, and because deep listening is, is includes understanding. So I had to understand myself and then ultimately uh, understand others uh, better as well. And, and that's in particular at home, I tried to work on more. Mm. Uh, but also in other environments as well. You know, the reason why the, the command, the simplest overall commandment is love your neighbor as yourself, is you have to love yourself first. Mm. And that's a really big challenge when you look at it in um, the deepest way, because unconditional love is just, uh, well, it's so complicated. And it, well, it's so simple that it's actually very complicated. That's mm. part of it. So, so to try to get toward that uh, was a big challenge. And I, I, yes, I had many, many changes that I had to go through. Now, I, you asked a more specific question. I gave you a general answer. Just, uh, just how did it feel for you when I, when I had my breakdowns? Were you scared? Were you, yeah, how did, how did it feel? So, um, I was anxious at one level. Um, concerned, uh, I felt a, a measure of guilt for not having been able to help, um, you know, get to a position before and where it, it wasn't going to happen. Um, I did go through, you, you developed an independence when you were 12 or 13, when you first said, I'm not going to do this anymore, um, you know, like going to church or a whole pile of other things, you, you went on an independent path. And I was concerned that that would lead to a difficult transition. Mm. But what I didn't know was how troubled you were. And you explained, I became a little bit more conscious of it as you revealed more, because of course you were gone. So when you were in Africa, uh, although you had had 
some concerns. I thought that was to do with where you were, not what you were. And it was clearly not where you were physically, but where you were mentally was the issue. So we came to slowly realize that, yeah, it was worrying. Um, and obviously there's a sadness because then it leaves in a you with a difficult challenge uh, moving forward. But it didn't uh, fr frightened. I don't think so, because I felt that we would get through. But anxious, yes. Does that yeah. Yeah. It was great to see uh, how you came through, and obviously, you. Well, I say obviously. I think that uh, we came out too fast the first time, so you ended up going back in. And you know, it was only after the next time round that I remembered that um, when I came back out, uh, the the enterprise, the company, was very, very careful about the rate they allowed me to go back in at. Mm. But of course, you you weren't in that position, and you were still pushing as well. Um, and being younger, I think that would be normal. Mm. Uh, why you then had a relapse? Mm. Uh, the other overall comment that I was going to make is there's quite a difference between, um, although they can manifest themselves in the same way, um, if there's a predominantly a work-related stress situation which leads to depression, that's very different to a deeper build-up of a depressive illness over time associated with life and living and background and you know other happenings so clearly i'm i'm not really a depressive i don't have and uh, i'm not saying there's anything wrong with someone who does all i want to say is that for people listening to this if if they are depressive then what i have described may sound like an enormous mountain to climb to them but that's because i was lucky enough not to be naturally uh, depressive yeah but but the illness manifests itself in a similar way. It's less gripping, mm. less overwhelming. And I just feel blessed that I was then able to get the far side of it. But it did help me to understand what it's like uh, for those who are gripped by it in a different way. And then years later, it helped me, I think, to understand more about what had happened to you. Mm. So for those, for those who are listening to this, it affects everybody in a different way. Um, and the, the reason why I specifically stress this is that some people, you know, in the olden days, it was mad is bad. And we used to talk about that quite a lot in the Priory, actually, because there were some people whose relationships fell apart, that husbands or wives were not able to. Uh, and, and one, I did come across someone, I went back for a visit sometime afterwards, and I came across a guy who was a very gentle guy, but he was in for a second session um, and his wife had left him. She just couldn't take it anymore. Whereas I was blessed that uh, your mother just got stronger as I got weaker. So it, it's different for everybody. Um, we have to find a way in ourselves, but we always do need help. But yeah. there's, there's no right or wrong way to be and if we're depressed, the challenge is to try to find a way through and it's different for everybody. Mm. 
So just to wrap up, I know it's probably quite difficult, but if you could name three of the most, the, the tools that you learned that had the most impact moving forward, what would those be? I mean, I've talked on here about keeping your cup full, which I think connects to, you know, loving yourself as you love others or loving others as you love yourself. And then boundaries, which for me are very, very important. You know, what what I am able to give and what I, where and when I give um, and support and also boundaries for myself. Um, and then connection, which which for me are some of the most important things. But for you, what are what are three of the most useful tools that you say came out of of what happened to you? Um, so strangely enough, although I do things in three, I, 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 they don't trip off the top of the top. <laughs> but the first the first one I would say is. Uh, being really conscious of where I am and by that I mean I don't mean uh, you know wrapping myself in myself and being consumed about it I mean being sensitive to where I am mm. uh, the one that's most valuable over time is this issue of um, timeline you know, viewing how far out do I want to consider now? Because I, I use that many, many times over the last 30 or 40 years. Um, and I, I suppose that continued to be uh, very, very powerful. And I think for anybody, uh, you know, for, for people who are stressed at work, trying to do something and they're about to feel overwhelmed, then applying the technique of going forward, so shifting the time horizon away from us, is good and for for people who can't move because they're incapacitated because they just feel so low then bring the time horizon down to the next five minutes mm. i think th that that tool is is very very important um the third one so um i don't know whether I'm toying with two. So one is the connecting with other people and being open to input. Um, but the reason why I say I'm toying with two is that one is obvious and you talked about this connection and so on. Uh, an underlying one, which has always pervaded everything that I've been lucky enough to be able to be able to do is to find a way to be positive. And you also mentioned that the cup half full. Mm. Uh, and I don't know which of those is, is, but one of those would probably be my third. Mm. And if I could put the two of them into one, then yeah, I, I do with connect with a half full mentality or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I, I find gratitude so, so, so helpful. And I do, you know, my gratitude lists at the end of every day. So that even if it's been a hard day or whatever, that I still am mindful to find positive things and to try and... yeah. See well, how saying thank you, you know, some days when I say, I like, just say thank you to God for what I've got. Um, the comment I would make though is for people who get stuck very, very low, then a great place I would suggest for them to be able to start is, and we've talked about that before, is when they wake up, just a few 
positive affirmations about mm. themselves. Yeah. That'll help them to then get to the, and if it's like a muscle, we can build mental fitness the way we can build mental uh, physical fitness and resilience we can build over time. Um, all the muscles, and I'm using the word muscles, but of course it's different, but, but muscles are a good analogy. It need to be learned and that's how you know resilience is one type reaction to a short impact is another one so building that up over time is really important and then knowing how to apply it either i'm on the short-term one now so i'm going to do affirmations and set myself a short-term goal or uh, i need to get a longer-term move so set a long-term goal mm. learning how to be half full and connecting and building a plan uh, if, if we're stuck I think that becomes really really important amazing well thanks dad okay that was wonderful um yeah I'll see you soon okay take care Okay, my angels, that's it for another week. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you got something out of today. I'd love to hear from you if you've got any feedback. So contact me on Instagram at ob underscore progress process or email me at alexoburn at live.com. Don't forget, my loves, you are loved. Mm-hmm.